From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. I'm happy to be recording downtown today with our friend Alex Burness from the Denver Post. Alex and I are both wearing masks due to our close proximity. So if our voices sound a little muffled, that's why. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us. The legislature is now back in session after a two-month break, and already they're giving us a lot to talk about. Yeah, lawmakers are working under some new rules that they've never really used before or had before. And they've introduced new bills as well to try to address some of the challenges that the pandemic has brought to Colorado. Lawmakers also have to deal with all of the bills that were still in process before the legislature adjourned in mid-March. Before we go any further, here's our usual disclaimer. We're recording this episode on Thursday, May 28th. Things could change by the time you're listening. There is a lot in progress. To start our discussion, I'm happy to bring back an old favorite. Hot bills. Hot bills. Hot bills. Because the legislature is back in session, that means there's going to be new bills to discuss. But for now, much of the focus is on some holdover business from the first part of the session. Alex, can you start us off? One bill that's being talked about a lot this week is the LGBTQ plus panic defense bill. The panic defense can be used by defendants to say that they committed an act of violence or a crime because they panicked because of the victim's sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, It doesn't get used very often in Colorado, and when it does get used, it doesn't work. This is a criminal court defense? Mm -hmm. And this bill is interesting for what it would do. I mean, it's a priority for gay and trans advocate organizations and lawmakers, but I think it's mostly interesting for what it says about the session and uh, just how much legislation that was carefully crafted over a long period of time is dying super quickly right now. This bill costs absolutely nothing to administer. It's agreed upon super widely. Republicans are down with it. And um, it would add about six minutes to the session to have it uh, brought to the floor and and voted and sent to the governor's desk. And it died earlier this week in committee. I haven't really heard a better explanation for why it died than, look, we got to clear the agenda and a lot of good bills are dying. Well, I want to move to a bill that is getting a lot of eyeballs. It's Senate Bill 163. And this is the measure that aims to increase Colorado's childhood vaccination rate. It already passed the Senate but it has not gone through the House. So this has always been one of the most viewed bills. Even though most Coloradans do vaccinate their children, we have one of the highest opt-out rates or the highest for kindergarten, measles, mumps, and rubella. So we will have to see what happens with that, but that is certainly not going to be a layup if they bring that through the House. This bill presents lawmakers with I think a pretty interesting dilemma. I'm not really sure how Democrats can win in this case. It already cleared the Senate pre-COVID, so it just needs to pass the House. But this bill, more than anything you know that we've seen in the last couple of years, brings out huge crowds, uh, moms and dads who bring their unvaccinated kids in, and they have protests. And so the House has the votes to pass this, and they all believe in the policy. Um, but if they take it up, then they're going to have gigantic crowds, potentially unruly, unvaccinated crowds inside. Hmm the Capitol during a pandemic. Then there's the bill that uh, has kind of consumed my last few weeks. That's the the state budget. You know, in these first couple of days of the new session, of the resumed session, other stuff has 
has really taken up a lot of time. Debates about how they're going to do this and killing old bills, starting new bills. But I have a feeling that the budget will grow to dominate a lot of the conversation because we're looking again at more than $3 billion in cuts and they have to decide exactly how they're going to do that. That'll be the focus in the next few days, and the House is expected to come in on Saturday to pass the budget out of that chamber. Anybody listening to this or follows the state legislature should settle in for this to be a topic for years to come. I mean, these next couple of weeks are going to be all budget, and there's going to be, I mean, you're going to see people crying on, on the House floor, literally, as we saw in... Uh, yeah, we certainly saw them cry in, in committee. Yeah, it, it's real for them. They're cutting stuff that has real material impact on people's lives. Coloradans will all feel mm-hmm. this cut in one way or another. And next year, for a variety of reasons, uh, may very well be worse. The year after might be worse. So this is just how it is for a little while. Tuesday, lawmakers and the three of us all returned to the Capitol for the first time since the legislature suspended work back in March because of COVID-19. It's so strange to be inside that building. You can really tell how everything's changed. Normally, it's pretty easy for reporters to get inside the building. Tons of different access options. Right now, they're funneling everybody through just two doors. And when you arrive there, you're greeted by a public health checking team. What's the protocol today? All right. Can I screen you before you go in? Yeah, please do. Okay. Thank you. So what do we got to do? So I just need to ask you uh, three questions and take your temperature if that's okay. Sure. All right. Thank you. Uh, any worsening cough? No, no worsening. No. You don't worry. Any uh, difficulties breathing? No difficulty breathing. Okay. Sore throat or flu-like symptoms? No. Okay. All right, and have you had an elevated temperature in the last four days that you know of? No, not that I know of. Okay, all right. I'm gonna so you can now. see once you're inside throughout the building all these different ways that they've tried to adapt this century-plus-old building to be safer <laughs> during this pandemic. It's everything from little messages spelled out in tape, enter, exit, uh, signs that say up or down on the stairwells. Reporters and others are observing from the galleries. And up in those galleries, most of the seats are taped off. The media does have some limited access to the floor of each chamber. We're rotating which reporter sits there and takes notes for all of the other media outlets. And on the first day back, I sat at the press table on the House floor. Everything looked really different. They've put up these clear plastic shields between the legislators' desks. Most lawmakers were wearing masks. All of the Democrats and maybe about half of the Republicans or a little bit less than half. Some lawmakers weren't in their desks but were sitting in that public viewing gallery above the chamber. The chamber was subdued. The House has a lot of members and typically it's a pretty lively, somewhat rowdy crowd in there. And it didn't have that mood on the first day back. Alex, you were on the Senate. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it does. I, I think subdued is the right word. It was it was weird. That's another word I'd use. It's, it, it's eerie in that building. It feels now during session like it does if you ever go there in July or August where you'll have entire wings of the building with no sign of human activity and it's just quiet and people are kind of avoiding each other for obvious reasons. And I think... You know, it's going to be weird and subdued for a while, but it, it there, we might see more fireworks. I think we will. I think that's definitely right. And lawmakers have a lot going on, just like the rest of us do, maybe in their personal lives, their other jobs, and then 
tough decisions at the Capitol. And one significant thing that they already did was to change the rules of how each chamber operates. So the House and Senate agreed to let lawmakers work remotely if they have a substantial health risk or if someone in their family does. So that means a lawmaker could call into a committee hearing, floor debate, they could vote remotely. So this is pretty significant and it was divisive. Indeed. Uh, It took them a few hours to figure this out in both chambers the other morning. Uh, Democrats wanted the change. And because they are the majority, they did indeed get it. There are a handful of Democratic legislators who are hesitant to come in right now who have not been in attendance, mostly due to health issues. But Republicans were strongly opposed and they argued every which way against this change. Yeah, we should note it was throughout the building, House and and Senate, completely party line. Not a single Democrat broke, not a single Republican supported it. So I have no idea what they mean when they say, let's set politics aside. I mean, here they're trying on the second day of this new session to agree on the basic terms of how they're going to conduct business. And they are 100% divided. The Democrats are saying that this is sort of a no-brainer for public health and safety. Republicans are saying, you wanted this job, so do the job. So show up. I was interested to hear from Republican Senator Jim Smallwood because he's the one lawmaker we know for sure has had COVID-19. He got diagnosed just a couple days after lawmakers adjourned. I don't get, I don't get to do the things I was elected to do if you're off someplace else and I can't have a conversation with you. And you're adults and you're elected officials and you don't need any scolding from anybody, certainly not from me. So I'm not scolding, I'm begging. Let me do my job. Let my constituents be heard. His argument didn't win, but he just said that it's going to make it harder to have this deliberative body when we can't talk to each other face to face. You know, I was surprised by how emotional the arguments really got at times both from Democrats who felt that their colleagues were being attacked as, you know, abandoning their duties because they were they were not wanting to come in, and occasionally from Republicans who felt that they were being attacked as well. The conversation really went everywhere. Especially in the House. I mean, the, 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 the first day lawmakers were back, the three members who weren't in the chamber are all African-American. And the debate in the House took on a racial component that it didn't in the Senate. But do not disparage my members who cannot be here because they choose to represent their communities from home and not die. Representative Leslie Herod, the chair of the Democratic Legislative Black Caucus, she said that it would be wrong to tell a black legislator to come in and risk his life. We need our members to live through this pandemic so we can continue to fight for our communities who are disproportionately impacted by the health impacts that we have put on our communities, that we have done and that we continue to refuse to acknowledge. One of the representatives, Jovan Melton, is dealing with really serious health issues. And she said that to tell him to stay home is also not acceptable because that would be disenfranchising. She said, this guy doesn't feel safe coming into the building. I'm texting with him right now. Uh, he doesn't feel safe. And sure enough, a little bit later, Javon Melton shows up in the flesh mm-hmm. in a mask to make the same case. I would be wrong to shortchange the district that stood next to me in my hardest times by staying at home and not voting. 
This issue was very personal for lawmakers, talking about their own health and the health of their loved ones. People have a lot of of emotions behind all of this, and and Republicans did as well about what they believe is their constitutional duty. So Mm. this felt very personal. We're going to shift to bills Democrats want to pass. One idea is to require companies to provide a minimum number of 48 hours of accrued paid sick leave. It would go into effect next year, and supporters say it's trying to combat what they see as a work-while-sick culture. They want to make it clear that this proposal is not the same as a paid family and medical leave bill that the legislature scrapped. They were hoping to get it through the session. It's significantly smaller than that bill would have been. That proposal would have created a potentially state-run program to provide people with days and even weeks of time off for a variety of causes. Now we're talking about just a handful of sick days. To me, it shows that this pandemic has underlined the reasons the Democrats want paid sick leave to help people deal with these kinds of situations. But at the same time, they no longer have the resources to actually do anything on quite that scale. So they're looking for these kind of in-between options. Mm-hmm. Some in both parties are thinking big on taxes, though, because there's mm-hmm. a bipartisan effort that would ask voters to repeal the Gallagher Amendment, and that controls residential and commercial property tax rates. Andy, you've written a little bit about that. What's going on here? It passed back in the 80s as a constitutional amendment that tried to hold down the burden that residential taxpayers paid. Combined with some other laws, it has had the effect of driving down residential property tax rates in a kind of inevitable way when there's a weird economic event like this, it can really eat away at revenues for schools and other stuff. When you talk about how Gallagher interacts with other laws, the Hmm. main one that interacts with, (laughs) uh, notably anyway, is Tabor. Uh There's an incredible partisan divide on on how Tabor is viewed. It's a sacred cow for Republicans and a lot of Democrats, even if some of them wouldn't admit this for various reasons out loud, would love to snap their fingers and, and kill it. Gallagher is not that sacred cow, evidently, in the way that Tabor is. And so this is why we have this week Jack Tate, the Republican I mentioned a second ago with the panic defense bill. And uh, a a Democratic senator, Chris Hansen, are saying that they're going to try to get the legislature to put on the ballot in 2020 a Gallagher repeal. Mm. And they would need two thirds Mm. uh, of each chamber to do it. And apparently two thirds are on board, according to Hansen. We'll see if it's true. Notably, the governor, who is almost impossible sometimes to pin down on how he actually feels about tax policy. He has clearly said Gallagher needs to go, that he's talking this way, that a Republican and a Democrat are coming together to push for a repeal speaks Mm -hmm. volumes. I mean, to me, that would be amazing if there was this huge bipartisan push on something pretty consequential in the state constitution during this (laughs) COVID-19 session, if you will. Yeah, it would be a huge deal. We're going to wrap up this episode with our usual end segment. Wait, what? I'd say this week was sort of a never-ending collection of wait-what moments as we're just walking around our normal workplace. One thing that was kind of fun was to see all the different masks lawmakers were wearing. And one I thought was really cute. It was Republican Senator Don Corum. He had it especially stitched from a seamstress in southwest Colorado. He's from Montrose, and it was read, Cowboy Up. And he told me he wanted to have a message that was inspirational to his colleagues. He considers himself an old cowboy, and 
He wanted to people to just feel like, look, we can power through this. When you fall off, you get back on. So mm. I saw him the other day and he was wearing his cowboy up mask. Other members had family members who made masks for them and they had really cool backstories. I did not have a cool backstory for my mask, which ended up being really uncomfortable. I have not perfected the right mask for me yet, but hopefully I'll figure that out over the next week <laughs> or so. Senator Corum's got a pretty impressive mustache, doesn't he? I'm, I'm curious if he's still got that going on under the mask. You know, I, I, I didn't ask him, but that's, that's a good question. <laughs> My wait what moment, I spotted a photo of Representative Brianna Tatone, who is the representative for my area. She was working from the uh, the balcony, basically, of the chamber in the House. And to demonstrate her votes, she had a big sign that said yes, that she would hold up as necessary. I don't know if that was her official mechanism for voting or not, but it was certainly a way to, to get her point across, even though she was so far away from her normal desk. My way, what has to do with the lack of AC in the Capitol? The legislative session runs every year from January to May, uh, so you usually don't really notice it because actually most of the session is pretty cold outside. Yeah. Uh, but now that we're coming back and we're going to have, uh, you know, it's been in the 80s and who knows what it'll be for the next few weeks. It is steamy in there. Like it is uncomfortable. <laughs> and we're wearing these masks, which make it so much hotter. You're just breathing this hot air back at yourself constantly all day. This will be some of the sweatiest lawmaking in Colorado history. <laughs> Sorry, Alex, not an image I want to have in my head. At least you'll have six feet of distance. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague Andrew Kenny and our guest this week, Alex Burness, a reporter for the Denver Post. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner who also composed our theme music. If you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us, like and review the show on iTunes, and to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. I'm at Benta Berkland. And I'm at Alex Burness. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. We are both wearing masks due to close proximity, so I apologize for the uh, the audio quality coming out of us, but deal with it. Sorry, I need to try that again. <laughs>